The Ontario Progressive Conservatives said they are going to raise the minimum wage to $15.50 by October 1st. All right, cool your jet score. They still have to get in in order to do that because it's, you know, October the 1st. And I don't know how much that's going to affect your wage immediately. But hey. It's a little tip of the hand there. A little excited, Cord. Uh, the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives conducted an in-depth study to put the theory that the, increasing the minimum wage would kill jobs to the test. And what they did was they focused on the 2018 minimum wage increase, which was a significant one. It was 20%. The one that they're proposing now is only 8%. Here to talk about it, Sheila Block, Senior Economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Sheila, thanks for uh, spending some time with us this morning. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been something that lobbyists have clung to for years and years and years. The notion that if we increase the minimum wage, jobs will be killed. What did you learn through your study when you really dove deep into that uh, wage increase to $14 in 2018? So we have to remember that that wage increase was more than 20% increase. And what we saw when we compared 2017 to 2018, that wages increased, employment decreased, uh, sorry, employment increased, the unemployment rate decreased, more jobs, less folks looking for work. And not only did we see an increase in wages, but in particular, people who were working in low-wage jobs, people who were working in restaurants and hotels, cleaners, call center workers, saw a larger increase in their wages. So it was really a kind of win-win-win policy move. Can you get a little bit deeper into the reduction in gender uh, wage gap that we saw? So what we saw as well was that the increase was larger for women than it was for men. And there's a pretty simple reason for that, uh, which is that women are more likely to be in those low-wage jobs. And when we broke it down by race, what we found out is that black women had the highest increase uh, in their wages. That's both hourly wages and weekly earnings, uh, followed by racialized women then followed by white women. And so what that did, as well as everybody getting that increase, is it also narrowed a bit that big wage gap between um, racialized workers and white workers and between women and men. This is called the trickle-up effect, right? Yes, it is called the trickle-up effect. Can you you define that for us? Just talk a little bit more about that, because I think it's interesting for us to all kind of get schooled in this. Yeah, so... So what happens is when you raise the floor for everybody, um, so that's what an, an increase in the minimum wage does, is it raises the floor for everybody. And so what that means is people who are more likely to be in those low-wage jobs are also uh, you know, more likely to have that increase. But the other um, aspect of that is people who were, who were earning close to the minimum wage between uh, uh, between that period actually also had an increase. So what we saw was not only was there an increase for people making minimum wage, but we saw a bunch of people bumped up above that minimum wage in the next year as it worked its way through the system. So the benefit was widespread among low-wage workers and even those who were making a little bit more than minimum wage um, before the increase. 
I think a lot of the argument for not raising the minimum wage uh, when it comes to lobbyists or people that are against it point to, well, this is just going to help out teenagers that live at home. Why are we doing this? It's going to hurt businesses. Can you speak to that? So what we saw in our research is that 70% of minimum wage workers um, were were adults. They weren't teenagers. And so that's a really kind of out-of-date notion that it's only teenagers. And it's also an out-of-date notion that teenagers aren't either contributing to their family income, uh, keeping, uh, you know, uh, keeping the household going. The other thing that we found is in terms of those prime age workers, so workers who are over 25, we saw a big increase in the number of those workers um, who were making minimum wage. And what that shows us is a lot of people who are, you know, trying to put food on the table for themselves and for their families are in those low-wage positions and do benefit from that increase in the minimum wage. Okay, let's talk about it from the uh, perspective of employers because employers always worry, and I get it. It's a knee-jerk reaction. How, Especially right now, how am I going to make ends meet? If I have to pay people more and I uh, am dealing with all these costs associated with the pandemic... Um, can you speak to the implications of these people, their um, minimum wage workers getting more money and how they ultimately put it back into businesses uh, like the ones they work for? So one of the things that's really important to remember is that um, a big share, more than half of minimum wage workers are in large firms. So those are firms with more than four, 500 employees. So that kind of notion that we have of, of, of minimum wage workers working only in small businesses uh, is a is a misconception, but I think there are a couple of ways where businesses are going to respond. Right, uh, they can increase their prices a little to uh, accommodate that increase in costs. The other thing that they can do is they can take a little bit less profit, and we know some of those large companies that hire a lot of minimum wage workers, like grocery stores. Um, and others really have seen their profits skyrocket through the pandemic. Um, and so those are, those are the kinds of ways that uh, companies will respond. Absolutely, are there some companies on the margin who wouldn't be able to make it with that increase? Uh, and the answer is yes. And, and I think we have to look back and look at what we decide altogether as a society. In the 19th century, we decided that businesses could no longer hire children. And that if they couldn't make a go of it without um, without using children as workers, they'd have to go out of business. And I think we made a similar decision uh, in 2018. And what actually happened is, you know, the vast majority of businesses could absorb that. What kind of businesses are at risk? What kind of businesses would be at risk from this increase? I think right, businesses yeah. that are that are poorly run, okay. businesses that, that are inefficient, um, and also businesses that have very small margins. But we know that, you know, part of being a business person is being able to accommodate changes in prices. And, you know, this increase that we've seen in gas costs, which has a lot of impact on a lot of businesses, um, People have to figure out how to manage that and they'll have to figure out, you know, how to manage an increase in minimum wage as well. And again, they figured it out. And that's that's what the results of the study showed. So the vast majority of businesses were not, uh, you know, uh, put into bankruptcy as a result of that minimum wage increase.
Sheila, before I let you go, I'm just curious because, you know, we're talking about the minimum wage increase on October the 1st, if the uh, PCs get in again uh, to 1550, is that increase going to be enough to help businesses dealing with a labor shortage right now? Um, so that's a 3% increase from where it's at now. And we're in an election season and we know that the new Democrats are proposing moving uh, year by year to a $20 an hour uh, minimum wage we know that the Liberal Party, if elected, is saying that they would increase the minimum wage to $16 an hour. Um, and I think with the kinds of shifts in the labor market, um, you know, that 1550, which is a 3% increase from where it's at now, um, is just catching up, frankly, to where the labor market is probably already. I want to thank you for your time, Sheila. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a fantastic afternoon. Thanks so much. Cheers. Sheila Block is Senior Economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives.